Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. If you're just joining us in part one last week, Dr. Arthur Frankel, renowned oncologist, went into a deep dive on oncology or cancer therapies over the last several decades, as well as what immune checkpoint therapy is and what cancers it is used in. So if you want that deep dive in oncology, go ahead and go back to that episode. And in this episode, Dr. Frankel concludes by giving us some really interesting statistics about what might be the next big frontier in oncology therapy. Off to the show. So we're talking a lot about immune cells today. And actually, I I talk about this a lot. I, I may not talk about it with clients a lot, but this is what we're also manipulating often with anti-inflammatory food therapies and other things that are causing immune inflammation. How do you see um, things like food and diet and whatnot impacting uh, the influence of this or influencing cancer care, if at all? And that might be a big topic for a different day also, but if you could give any input. All right. So this is what I talked about in uh, California. And this is now my research in area of love and interest. If you had asked me 40 or 50 years ago when I was studying the molecular changes in cancer cells, whether diet or the gut microbiome uh, would have any impact on cancer or cancer therapy, I would have laughed at you and said, you know, not in a hundred years. Uh, but I was wrong. It's, it turns out, and this is not my work, although uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to work on that in my new job, you know, as I get a new location, it turns out that a brilliant scientist named Jennifer Wargo, W-A-R-G-O, she's also a a superb surgeon at MD Anderson in Houston, her team discovered that if you have a high plant fiber diet, your response to immunotherapy is five times higher than people without a high plant fiber diet. That is remarkably different. Yeah, it is. 
So how many people did she look at? And when, when did that come out? This came out at a meeting at the American Association for Cancer Research in April 2019. Oh, this is fresh. It has not yet been fully... Well, that's, it's not yet been fully published uh, as a paper, but Dr. Wargo has presented it as recently as a week and a half ago at a special uh, National Institutes of Health mini-meeting uh, mini to review the gut microbiome, diet, and immunotherapy. Her last name and is spelled W-A-R-G-O? Yeah. Okay, She thanks. has many publications. And anyone that would Google her would find a lot about her. I, I think she's just brilliant. Cool. Okay. So five and times improvement in immunotherapy checkpoint, right? That's what that's what you said. Five times improved outcomes, right? Okay. Now, now her group and other groups in France and elsewhere have shown two other things that hint towards the future. One is they've shown that people that are overweight, that are fat, are more likely to respond. Now, that's odd. Okay. It's good news for most of the people, though, right? For most of Americans. Like, it's a good, it's a good for, thing. Yeah, yeah. For about 70% of Americans. Now that from the stress of what I've been going through, I'm down to normal weight, so it's not so good for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the last thing she, she and others have found, and I have data as well, is that if you have antibiotics, if you take antibiotics, oral antibiotics or intravenous or a shot, before you get the immunotherapy for your cancer, your chance of responding is cut in half. That's actually a really big deal. So thanks for bringing that up. I wanted to ask you specifically about that. That was her research as well that found that? Yes, she has published that. Uh, A group in France has published that. Uh, and I, be- I, have- I think that was in 2018 because I looked at your slides. Dr. Frankel keeps referring to California. He, I saw him speak at a microbiome conference in California a couple of weeks ago, and so that's what he's referring to. But um, I think your slide said 2018. So I'm going to repeat that. For people that took antibio- oral antibiotics prior to cancer immunotherapy, their likelihood of success decreased by half. Now, the success rate in general was one-third correct? Um, so 30% roughly. Correct. So if they have antibiotics, right. your success rate is now 15% uh, prior to therapy. How right. long before um, immunotherapy is this uh, where it affects things? Because the microbiome can be affected by antibiotics for weeks a or month. months. Correct. A month? Many months. Okay. But most of these studies have looked at 30 to 60 days maximum before immunotherapy. So okay. I would say you can't control you know, if someone gave you an antibiotic two or three months before, but at least if you know you have cancer and you may end up on immunotherapy, if you can avoid antibiotics, you want to. Now, not everybody can, Mm -hmm. because if you were on a chemotherapy and you got an infection, then you may need an antibiotic to stay alive. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the bottom line from this work and some of the work that I've done and the work of Dr. Wargo and others is that if you combine a Western diet with a lot of hamburgers along with oral antibiotics, 
your chance of responding to immunotherapy then could be one-tenth other people's. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big difference. It's a huge so, difference. So, and I was able to reproduce that in an animal model, and I showed that when I gave the talk in California. It was so frightening to me, and I didn't think reviewers at a public, you know, at a journal would accept it, that I have not put it into my manuscript that I'm submitting at the end of this week because it's just too dramatic, and I was worried nobody would believe yeah. but I, I, it. Yeah. It's consistent is, with the work of war going on. Is this the time you had to feed 250 mice and you were worn out? Yeah, yeah. And what were you feeding them? So I didn't know which diet would be good or bad for immunotherapy. So I had five different mouse diets. One was regular mouse chow. One was Western diet. Uh, One was a high-protein diet. Uh, One was a high-fiber diet. And another one was sort of halfway in between uh, on the protein and the fiber. The high-fiber diet was able, and I don't want to imply to people that you can cure cancer with a high-fiber diet alone, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get too much to grow in the mice with a high-fiber diet. Mm-hmm. And why do we think that, that is? It, why do we think that is? Because the fiber does what? That, that gets to what my current passion is in my research. It turns out that the high-fiber, this is cellulose, and inulin is not digested by your stomach or your small intestine. It gets all the way to the colon. Well, the colon, the only thing that goes on in the colon is the bacteria in your gut break down those fibers. And they don't break them down all the way to sugar because God or nature or evolution has made it that your colon has no oxygen so that it can only break them down to short-chain fatty acids. Mm -hmm. Short-chain fatty acids are the same product of the probiotics and the prebiotics that seem to control inflammation and regulate the immune system. Right. So what's ironic is that the same bacteria and certain probiotics and the high fiber in the diet have the dual property of both reducing nonspecific inflammation and improving proper T cell function. Mm. And okay. that's just the way I explain it to people is that uh, you're into alternative things. If you do yoga or you do meditation or something, it teaches you how to center yourself so that instead of all this. Uh, they call it Chitty Vritha, all these little vibrations that are hitting you all the time, your mind or your body can focus on real dangers and not on the garbage. And that is my impression is that our immune system, and I published a paper on it, that our immune system can either just react non-specifically, remember the shot in the arm, the inflammation is the initial reaction. You need that initial activation but then you need that to calm down and the 
adaptive or T-cell immune system to take over and do its job. And by having the right diet and the right gut bacteria, it's sort of telling your immune system to be on alert, but on alert towards the proper immune system, not nonspecific inflammation. Okay. And that's part of our research now is how is that possible? How could the gut bacteria, which are living in us, communicate in that detailed a fashion with our immune system? And the answer is it's been doing it for millions of years. In it's fact, so smart. <laughs> that's why we call it the second brain, right? It's so smart. Right. So, so there are, as I explained earlier in this podcast, the same signals that are reaching out to regulate the immune system also communicating with the brain. Mm -hmm. So the bacteria that are in our gut, they want to stay alive. They don't really want you to drop dead, and they don't want you to get infected with one bacteria that kills you. So they have evolved even better than any of these cancers because they've been doing it for billions of years they have evolved with our multicellular organism called us. So that the shell, the human shell, which doesn't have all that much genetic information, can function to keep alive the bacteria in the gut. Many people, if they wanted to be cynical, would say the gut in us or the brains in us is in the communicating bacteria in our gut, that complex of millions of interactions between the different genes as much as in our mind or in our physical body. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to recap that just a little bit. Uh, the work of Dr. Jennifer Wargo that has not yet published basically found that a high plant fiber diet um, gave a five times improvement in checkpoint immunotherapy, right? Um, it was also found... So, it was, so wait, go ahead. It has been published because it was published as a presentation at a national meeting. Mm -hmm. It's just not been, all the details are not yet available. Mm -hmm. So okay. I can admire it, but I, I don't know the exact method she used to analyze the plant fibers in the diet or, or some of the other details, but her work has always been very reproducible. So I have every reason to believe that it is true. Uh, and of course, for some of the other discoveries that she and others have made with antibiotics before immunotherapy, that's been reconfirmed as recently as this week. Mm -hmm. There's an article in the Journal of American Medical Association Oncology that just came out confirming the effects of antibiotics. Then finally, that certain bacteria in the gut can help you respond or not respond to immunotherapy, you know, both is my work that was published in 2017 and then subsequent work in 2018. And of course, more people are, are uh, finding that as we, as we talk. So I want to talk about these short chain fatty acids for a quick moment, because these are stars to me as well. And I think this can go into another conversation for another day. But basically, these insoluble fibers create short chain fatty acids in the gut and short chain fatty acids, I think, are our body's mechanism to heal itself. We use these to do gut healing. So if we're not creating short chain fatty acids, which 
come from good bacteria and good fiber. So maybe that's why we're seeing these high fiber diets, right, uh, produce this and, and we see we see the benefit. In fact, I give short chain fatty acids, our favorite being butyrate, um, to clients for different reasons. So I'll be curious if in your research, you study direct options or if you'll just look at the microbiome because you can create short chain fatty acids by fiber and good bacteria um or you yeah, could it, or you could give it it's tricky yeah to get adequate butyrate to the colon so i don't want to mess with what you're doing but many of the models and clinical studies where they've tried to give enough butyrate butyrate is very small mm-hmm. it's, it's you know one step or two, two, two carbons, you know, it, it is a volatile acid. Yes. So that, that it's so small that it, it absorbs right through the stomach, through the mm-hmm. intestine. So very little would make it to the colon. Right. So it is difficult to use butyrate in that fashion. And, you know, it's broken down quickly mm-hmm. because your body mm-hmm. will break it down. Right. The reason that the fiber and the bacteria in the gut are able to work and make it at a high level is because there's no oxygen there. So when it breaks it down, it can't make it go from butyrate to uh, acetate or, mm-hmm. or to sugar. Right. So it's that, the Krebs cycle. So it's not able to do it, and that then gives these acids the ability to enter the colon cells and the colon cells, ah, oh, go great, this is food. So you were right about that. And as I was saying, in addition to feeding the colon, it also communicates with both the nervous system and the immune system. Is it the only way that fiber and the gut bacteria communicate? No. We know that there are other pathways. I just reviewed some work suggesting that the breakdown of an amino acid called tryptophan, uh, which can be broken down to make serotonin, which is, you know, how you have peristalsis in your gut and how you become antidepressed, you know, normal. Uh, That's regulated by the gut. Right. That there are other chemicals that, as some of the other speakers talked about, that can affect heart disease, uh, that can affect uh, autism. Uh, So there's a large number of diseases other than immune diseases that can be affected that are both central nervous system as well as the immune system. And there and they're also metabolic disorders. That is, it is possible that you can have a gut bacteria that causes you to be fat. And that's not an excuse for people that say, well, I can't help it. My gut bacteria made me fat. But it's partly true. Right. And that's why, that's why it takes so long to lose weight that you not only have to change your diet, but it can be three to six months to modify your gut bacteria so that they're not trying to make you eat sweets. You know, as I mentioned in my talk, you have gut bacteria that can make you hunger for sweets. Right, definitely. Um, I see that every single day. (laughs) And so when you start to manipulate that, which I think we can do 
quickly, um, you can severely decrease the cravings for sweets. Um, so it's not necessarily people's fault that they're having this craving. It's happening within them. Um, so we could talk more about butyrate, but let me, uh, mention also, I think people are going to want to know this. So I'm going to bring it up. Um, this isn't the right fit for everyone and it's a different conversation for a different day, but we find there's a lot of talk right now about the use of fasting for, um, to help support, um, some cancer and that is supposed to increase butyrate or short chain fatty acids as well. What's your take on that? All right. So if, if, if someone is physically able to undergo a fast and mentally able, then, Fasting from one to three days is a good thing for you. I have only fasted one day in my life, although when I started on a diet a year and a half ago, I pretty much made it a day. So, you know, it takes, uh, you know, a strong willpower, but you will discover that most people eat out of habit rather than true hunger, and that usually hunger comes on over time, and then it, you often can easily fast a day without it really bothering you significantly. And one of the ways you will be able to tell when you actually start to get hungry is that you'll start smelling better. You'll be able to recognize smells in your environment. Oddly enough, most people eat so often that their uh, olfactory system is shut down. Uh, and one of the early things to be able to tell when you actually get to a point where you have some hunger is that you can smell the smells in the room or outside much better. Mm. So when you fast for a few days, that tells the bacteria in your gut that the ones that can eat on the mucin layer in your colon uh, are going to grow a little bit better. Like and I those are a lot Correct. And there are others. And so those are bacteria that are like the ones that eat the high fiber. They're more likely to make the short-chain fatty acids, and they're more likely to have a good relationship with your body. But, it, you know, all these things, nothing cures everything. Right. So you can't take someone with a terrible autoimmune disease or a terrible cancer, and they starve for two days or three days and say, hey, I expect to be cured. Nothing is ever as simple as that. Right. But... If you ask general health benefits for someone who is overall healthy, yes, periodic fasting a little bit is probably a healthy thing. Right. If you ask if one should take inulin or prebiotics, my answer is yes, those should be good things. You have to adjust your body to it. Yep. Uh, if you ask should they take probiotics, then I'm going to be very cautious because for each person different probiotics may be better for that person. Mm -hmm. And the study that was done, again, from Wargo's group, and uh, they have reported this at meetings. Again, it's not been published, although uh, Aaron Segal at the Weissman Institute in Israel has shown it. If you have population, about 40% of people on cancer therapy are taking probiotics, on average, they do worse than those that are not taking probiotics. And the reason is not that probiotics can't help, but that, as I mentioned in my talk, and Aaron Segal and his paper show, many of the probiotics that are available are not 
the best probiotics for helping your immune system or for your particular biology or, or genetics, and they can actually prevent the right bacteria from growing in you. Right. So one has to be very careful as we recommend probiotics to have some basis and knowledge, and that's why I do admire some of the groups, both Microbiome Labs, uh, Vedanta, uh, and potentially even Merck, as they try to evaluate what is the best collection of bacteria to have in your gut to fight this disease or that disease. Right. I'm going to go back one topic and just say, definitely we were not recommending fasting for someone it's not appropriate for, and there's ways to make that more simple. We just want to put that clarification point there. And then second, absolutely, all probiotics are not created equal. Uh, I think you made an interesting point there how uh, the people without probiotics did better in that study. I mean, they're not created equal. Um, The old school recommendation 10 years ago when I used to talk about this was the widest variety of strains and the highest uh, CFUs or colony form, the most probiotics, you know, per capsule. That's not really the case necessarily anymore, to be honest, um, if you're following the current literature. I mean, that's just not the case anymore. Um, And it'll take a while for everyone to catch up on that, but that's not necessarily what's the most beneficial. Right. From this meeting that we had with NIH last week, the minimum number of strains to build a consortium in your gut that may help you may be at least 15 to 20 to 30, and maybe even more. Well, the problem with that, if you're trying to sell a probiotic, is that getting a reproducible consortia of 15 to 20 different bacteria is not easy. Mm Mm-hmm. So we, it may be, and I'm very hopeful, that some of the spore probiotics like Microbiome Labs and others have may help shift the collection of bacteria in the gut in a favorable direction, but we haven't learned that yet. You know, we're, we're gathering the data, and I'm, as I say, tremendously admiring companies that could just sell a probiotic and not research it, but I admire the companies that are trying to get the best data so that you really can match the patient to the probiotic. Right. What the thought process is, is that if we put certain kinds of probiotics, let's say spores in, we're hoping that they invite other nice friends in, right? So it's not that you have to give all of the different strains, it's that we invite these nice guys in. I have one more. Or or they prevent the bad ones from coming. Right, exactly. I have one more question that I think people were probably thinking earlier on. And another, a, a colleague of mine who was at the conference um, with us was wanting me to ask this to you. She was wondering if, do you think you can use immune checkpoint therapy in those with autoimmune conditions, or is that a future that you see? So it turns out that was a question that a colleague of mine uh, investigated at uh, UT Southwestern in Dallas, David Gerber and there's been some other reports from England that, yes, you can still give this immunotherapy to people that already have an autoimmune disease, but you do have to tell the patient that they are at increased risk. In other words, their autoimmune disease could get worse, Mm. but only occasionally, which is very interesting because if you took my presentation at face value, you just say, all right, if I turn on the T-cells and they're already attacking the person's, you know, gut, 
then they're going to get worse diarrhea and colitis. But it turns out that that's not always the case, that two out of three times those that antibody can go and help the T-cells attack the tumor and not automatically worsen the autoimmune disease. But it's a little bit higher rate of autoimmunity than someone that's never had it. Mm -hmm. So you do have to warn the patient before you give it. Uh, and we, interestingly, we may have ways of controlling that so that even though they have a background autoimmune disease, you can still give the immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. And that's at the research side that you may be able to give an anti-inflammatory antibody at the same time that you give the immune checkpoint blocker. And that is work in progress. That is not standard of care, but it's one of the trials that when I get to a new uh, university or a new institution that I would like to have available so that patients that you described that have rheumatoid arthritis or have had Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis may be able to get the immunotherapy and reduce their risk of side effects. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Frankel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us. I think we could continue talking for a long time about people. I mean, to have someone who's on the inside of cancer care and someone who's really progressive, I feel like there's an endless amount of questions we could ask uh, with how prevalent this is becoming. I hope you'll consider coming back as we get listener questions to do some Q&A um, as you get settled in your new location. Until then, where could people find you online anywhere? Maybe they cannot yet. What's next for you? You're going to, you are, um, you're rehoming your your grant to a new institution yet to be determined right. um will you see patients or what's next yeah so you know it's probably going to take three to six months for me to you know because i've got an interview and these places have to decide whether we they want me. <laughs> so some may like me some may also like this research but you know you have to find a place that they're interested because as you point out, this is, I believe it's cutting edge, but it's not what everyone wants to, to work on or every university or every hospital. Mm -hmm. So I really am interviewing and looking for places that are interested in this uh, interface between your diet, your gut bacteria, and immunotherapy and cancer as an important topic. And, uh, you know, that's my goal. So in the meantime, you know, obviously I have an email, afrankel59 at gmail.com. But I guess since I don't really know the breadth of your podcast, it's probably best that they contact you. And then, you know, you can relay them to me. And I'm, I'm more than willing to help anyone because obviously for the next three to six months until I'm fully relocated, I've got free time to help your patients and, and help any of your colleagues. I really believe you and the, and the practitioners like you that are trying to help people in this sort of uh, new field have my highest admiration. You are so kind and so generous um, and so sweet. So uh, if anyone has a question for Dr. Frankel, we'd love to have you send in a recording. You can either open the voice memo on your phone and record a question and send it to hello at lessstresslife.com or go to the website lessstresslife.com and there is a speak pipe 
a widget on the side where you can click on and record a question. And we'd love to have um, Dr. Frankel answer those for you. So uh, we hope that he'll come back. And I know this uh, episode uh, will be very well received. And I hope that you share it with someone that you love. We'll talk soon. Thank you. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 